It was May the 4th, 1799. The scorching summer sun had left River Kaveri with barely a few feet of water. Sepoys camped at the bank, their British leaders supervising the siege. At the opposite side loomed the formidable fortress of Seringapatam, capital of the Kingdom of Mysore. The ruler of Mysore, Tipu Sultan, was arch-nemesis of the East India Company, the last major impediment to the complete invasion of India. As midday approached and the Mysore army proceeded to have a break, British troops stormed the fortress. The defenders fought valiantly but were eventually defeated, bringing an end to the Fourth Anglo-Mysore War. Among the corpses, bloodied and bruised, lay the body of Tipu Sultan, the Tiger of Mysore. What followed was utter mayhem as the victors pillaged the palace, looting indiscriminately. Even handkerchiefs and footwear were not spared. 6,000 miles away from Seringapatam, surrounded by a vast expanse of landscaped gardens, is the 13th century Powys Castle. This private estate in the Welsh countryside is rather remarkable as it has one of the most extensive collections of Indian artefacts, perhaps even more than many museums in India. In 1784, the daughter of the Earl of Powys married Edward Clive, who was the governor of Madras during the fall of Seringapatam. His father, Robert Clive, had previously employed violence and deceit to establish British rule in India and amassed huge fortune in the process. Among the hundreds of valuable objects of colonial loot brought over to Powys and now displayed as the Clive Museum collection is the campaign tent of Tipu Sultan. A spectacular marquee decorated like a palace with colourful panels filled with floral designs made in 18th century India by a complex textile printing method called chins. Textile Tales of India, a Pod One production. Hello, my name is Preetha, and you are listening to Textile Tales of India, a series that explores the hidden history of Indian textiles. In the previous episode. I had discussed the making of the chins or the original kalamkari, a hand-drawn, modern and resist-tied fabric famously made along the Coromandel coast of India. In 17th and 18th centuries, chins was exported in huge quantities from India to the West, bringing significant fortune to the European colonizers as well as their Indian dealers. Museums and manor houses across Europe display numerous items made of chins, which were justly bought from Indians and not plundered like Tipu's tent. Interestingly, the East India Company initially wanted to procure chins to re-export to the Middle East and North Africa or to barter for spices in Southeast Asia. Records from 1613 show that small quantities of chintz materials were being sold in London. But the designs did not please the masses and makers were asked to adapt to British aesthetics. The fabrics were intended to be made into quilts and orders were placed for the background to be white with flowers and branches placed in the middle 
in colours according to the preference of the painter. Gradually, the British started sending designs to India to be copied by the chintz artists. By this time, Chinese arts had exerted its influence on Britain, which made its way to chintz motifs too. Chintz promptly became popular in Europe, not only because they were bright and colourful, but because the fabrics were colourfast and seemed to improve with washes. It was initially used to make home furnishings like bed curtains and wall hangings. Another popular item that appears in prominent museums across the globe is the palampur, derived from the Hindi-Persian word palangposh, meaning bed cover. Use of chintz to make garments was first practiced by the Dutch. In 1689, when Mary II and William III were jointly crowned as monarchs of Britain, Along with William's Dutch heritage, Chin's fashion too arrived in the country. By 1694, East India Company letters to India mentioned that the greatest ladies will wear chins for upper garments as well as for petticoats. You can never make or send us too many of them. Even in France, aristocratic women would be spotted in gorgeous chins dresses. From late 17th century, the chintz established itself as a symbol of high fashion. In the beginning, discarded bed linen were upcycled by poor women to make dresses for themselves. Then it started being used as garment lining. Soon, it caught the fancy of the rich and chintz dresses became a staple of high society women. Delightfully, almost everyone could now afford to wear chintz in some form. The upper class still needed some distinction and used decadent silk or velvet lining for their clothes or had the fabrics further painted with gold. They could also get customized designs on the fabrics, insisting on smaller motives for yardage meant for making dresses. However, not everyone was amused. Prolific English novelist Daniel Defoe, creator of Robinson Crusoe, wrote in 1708. Chins and painted calicos, which before were only made use for carpets, quilts, etc. and to clothe children of ordinary people, become now the dress of our ladies. And such is the power of mode, we saw our persons of quality dressed in Indian carpets, which a few years before, their chambermaids would have thought too ordinary for them. The chins were advanced from lying on their floors to the backs, from the footcloth to the petticoat. By 1664, textiles accounted for 75% of export from India. The trade in chins was a massive source of revenue for both the European companies as well as Indian merchants. In the Coromandel Coast, much of the finance was raised from South Indian bankers. The Dutch East India Company also experimented with the joint stock company system. One of the most prominent merchants who worked with the British and the Dutch was Malaya Chetty of Pulikat. From 1608 till his death in 1634, he was involved in the trade of chins which earned him enormous wealth. The house he built with the profits was so huge that it was used as a landmark on nautical maps. The intermediary merchants accepted orders from the company, sourced from chins makers of the Coromandel coast 
and fulfill the deal made with Europeans by arranging export from the port of Masulipatnam, now called Machilipatnam in Andhra Pradesh. Machilipatnam is in recent times associated with the block printing form of Kalamkari, a derivative of the historic chins. However, most of these fabrics are produced by printing using machines. In the neighbouring area called Pidana, a lone family still is fighting the odds to keep age-old traditions alive. Pichuka Srinivas is an award-winning Machilipatnam Kalamkari artist who has devoted his life to the preservation of the art. He has kindly agreed to be a part of this episode of Textile Tales of India. Let's listen to what he has to say. My name is Pichuka Srinivas. I am from Pedana village, Krishna district, Andhra Pradesh. My father and my mother was were founder of this Kalamkari art in Pedana. Earlier, it was in Machilipatnam. Centuries back, this art was there, but slowly vanished in Machilipatnam before independence itself. Then Srimati Kamala Devi Chattopajaya, mother of handicrafts, she came to Machilipatnam and she has given some amount of money, those days 5,000 rupees, to start Kalamkari to Parthasardi, Venkat Naidu and some other. Constructed one society, farmer of one society, and they used to sell their uh, products to government stores only, not outers. My father used to do handloom business, marketing person. Once uh, his friend in Mumbai asked me, asked him, uh, uh, please bring me on Kalamkari Sari from Machilipatnam. My father was shocked. He don't know about the Kalamkari. Uh, where it is, uh, what is Kalamkari means, he questioned the uh, Bombay friend. No, no, this is practicing in Machilipatnam itself. You go and uh, Church where it was. My father came to Machilipatnam, written back from, from his tour, and church he found the Kalankari manufacturer. Once he went to that society, they told, no, we can't sell the saris to our people. We used to sell only government stores. He went to Chen Madras museums and studied something, and he started Kalankari. His friends, Send, used to send fabric. My father those days used to print table covers, door curtains, like that, except dress material. How many types of kalamkari are there? In Andhra Pradesh, there is uh, two types. One is pen, pen kalamkari, which is very artistic work because they used to draw uh, mythological stories, Ramayana, Mahabharata, all the stories on the cloth. This is second one. Hand block printing is second one. In, it was uh, flourished in Machilipatnam, influenced by Persians. Okay. So the Machilipatnam block printing kalamkari is from Persian influence and the yes. pen kalamkari is practiced in Sri Kalahasti, I believe. And it's mainly, it's mainly drawing. Kalamkari that you practice is uh, the block printing Machilipatnam kalamkari. Only. Now tell me something, I'm curious, are chins and kalamkari the same thing? The Persians uh, introduced this kalamkari art 
at that time the kalamkari is uh, as per my idea all are leaves stems and uh, peacock birds mangoes etc mm-hmm. when the dutch people came in that designs they they used to draw chins true true so the patilipatlam uh, kalamkari is basically an influence of persian designs and the europeans came and they added european designs and that is called chins original chins that was exported to europe that is no longer made in india yes. or elsewhere okay there was a huge port in mathilipatnam from the from ancient times used by golconda kingdom and later the dutch and british is it still operational what happened to the port is uh, i mean uh, very old no the walls and everything uh, broken so it's not in and, use anymore uh, no nothing just uh, just to historical place just to see that and if uh, anybody interested to take pictures um i heard you have a museum at your home many visitors used to come to know what is the kalamkari mm-hmm. every time it's very difficult to show everything and you can't spend more time with them so i thought if you collect all the old pieces and everything if you put on one one hall if we call it as a museum that will be helpful for us and the visitors too so i constructed one museum in that centuries old blocks and colors colors mean all natural colors and some historical uh, evidences like designs something i kept in my museum that's interesting so you said about natural colors uh, nowadays in present times what dyes do you use for kalamkari first pomegranate peel halda flower mayrabalam flower that is for yellow color mayrabalam seeds for uh, this is uh, somebody calls as a natural modern to catch the colors what is your most favorite design my favorite design is tree of life i want to do always very big design artistic piece only so tree of life um, i've seen in quite a few indian textiles but i'm confused about the origin of tree of life it's uh, from uh, during dutch period they used to draw the tree of life so we were talking about the tree of life design which uh, now i understand came uh, from 10 centuries ago when uh, the dutch introduced their uh, design aesthetics in your opinion how did kalamkari designs change over the years see this uh, my opinion is after seeing all the uh, ref- uh, books referring referred all many books different type of tree of life are published in the books and saying it is from machlipatna after see, once the uh, netherlands fish museum people came and they worked with a workshop and i came to know it's really influenced by dutch people because sri krishna devaraya chola maharaja that era all indian temples architecture is same kalamkari like uh, it is to um, uh, flowers and uh, all the pillars and uh, ceiling there is to some round chakras everything is there and some elephants everything mm-hmm. so when they came fish museum people to 
my workshop they used to draw what kalamkari people is doing the entire suppose he is printing one person his picture drawn while he is printing and when we go to washing river krishna he sit on the river side and draw how the washing they are like that so what you mean is that the dutch people tend to derive inspiration from things around them and draw what they see with their own eyes yes and hence yes. their design is different from indian design i went to lepakshi yes. temple this year uh, uh, in june this year and i saw yeah. designs as you said fresco paintings on yeah. the ceilings and on the walls and that is very much like sri kalahasti pen kalamkari work so i guess there might be an inspiration why this uh, dutch french Il, all the people came to majlipatna means first thing here here uh, weather is suitable for weaving and second thing here lot of people used to grow indigo blue and madder that's very interesting so how many steps do you need to make kalamkari today i heard it's very complicated and it involves a lot of steps can i tell you you want to tell me number or uh, each one do you want no, me to tell you elaborate you, t- you tell me about the steps of making kalamkari one is uh, gray cloth cutting second is a uh, gray cloth cutting means we have to cut 10% extra whatever we require gray okay. cloth cutting natural bleaching myra balm treatment printing after printing we have to wash in flowing water in world in is photo uh, negative development no how we develop with the chemicals the same the cloth will develop in the water after that we used to bring that fabric and uh, we have to uh, we, we used to boil in copper vessel we can use any natural material suppose we can use this uh, oil coconut oil it will mm-hmm. give color if we boil with uh, barks everything will be even askal also you can use that's very interesting indeed uh, so it still seems like a very complicated process and it you still use the age old traditions that um, were employed to make kalamkari back in the day and i believe you are one of the very few people who do that because screen printing is a big problem nowadays isn't it yes this is 100% i want to tell one thing when we go river krishna the village the village people used to help us very much suppose they, if there is raining they used to give shelter if there is a, if there is a possible they used to give food if if not available hotels like that they used to help us a lot when the screen printing came to here using all the chemical colors these people are going to the river and washing there due to the chemical colors water con- contaminations the buffaloes uh, and cows they are losing their uh, some problem they are uh, the animals facing they are facing but, health problem because the of chemical contamination small babies then the people uh, started our cart uh, cattle is spying spoiling because of this uh, kalamkari they, they are not allowing to wash i had not thought of this um this i thought of the problem with screen printing is uh, that it is affecting the original kalamkari 
but it's true that screen printing uses chemical dyes and they use the same river to wash the dyes and the chemical contamination is leading to health hazards among cattle as well as humans and you are having to pay the price for it yeah. because they think that all kalamkari is responsible for this whereas natural dyes yeah. they, are, they are naturally filtered by the river they do not cause any um, any environmental concern so i'm really sorry to hear that um and i understand that machine printing kalamkari is the kalamkari that we usually get in the market it's very i think unusual unfortunately even in india to get the original kalamkari so where is the market for original kalamkari nowadays for original kalamkari there is a good market but due to scarcity of artisans the younger generation are not interested in this work they are not getting fair wages and not treating in a good manner mm-hmm. and nobody interested to do this printing work if we, if they work in uh, cities as a watchman or a hotel like that they can earn, they are uh, thinking that they are uh, they are getting more wages mm-hmm. my opinion is here if we, if they get some 18000 to 20000 they get uh, in cities 25 to 30000 and if they live in this uh, village there is no pollution and mm. they can eat fresh food like that but people are uh, younger generation is interested they want to go to the cities so is there a demand for original kalamkari in india too very much 100% for uh, demand that's good the, and is is there a demand in europe as there used to be for chins 30 years back europe is great demand now the europe market is decreased slowly now us market buying a lot okay kalamkari okay. that's, uh, that's that's and in asia asian country japanese they used to buy table covers and their market is also good in my childhood Japanese people, they have a company in Chen, Madras. Mm. They used to buy from uh, ours, Kalamkari and uh, Handloom, and they used to export themselves. Okay, okay, okay. So they used to buy from you and export themselves. That sounds like what used to happen in Chen's trade. My last question would be that if I'm a customer and I want to buy an original Kalamkari, where should I go? I'll <laughs> ask you to sell me one, but... <laughs> if uh, i don't have the luxury of having access to you where should i go to buy original kalamkari see madam everybody used to say only word our fabric is original we do only that thing god knows that is amazing to know thank you so much for your time mr srinivas um, i really appreciate it i learned a lot about kalamkari and its relationship with chains so i, I personally Personally, there's something I noticed that in the museums of Europe, London especially, you know I live in London and I'm a huge admirer of Victoria and Albert Museum, which has a lot of chintz fabrics. Um, they label it as Coromandel chintz. But when I went yes. to New York and when I went to Metropolitan Museum in New York, the chintz yes. fabrics are labeled as Kalamkari. So this is yes. quite interesting difference that I saw. It. It's the same textile textile. made around the same time in 17th century but europe still likes to call it coromandel chintz i think they probably want to preserve the 
uh, original essence of the textile and in america they call it kalamkari but my understanding completely as a layman as only as an admirer of craft is that the chins was a combination of sikalahasti painting and machlipatnam printing it seems to be like a combination of those two the london museum there is they kept a mehrab design that is one of the famous design in kalamkari i did not know about this now i'll specifically look for mehrab design when i go to victoria and albert museum next from mr srinivas i learned the rich heritage of handloom weaving and natural dyes of coromandel coast which is now being threatened by screen printing with chemical colors i understood that the dutch were largely instrumental in developing the design elements of chins and modern kalamkari of machilipatnam has incorporated that into its vocabulary whilst the indian chins used both printing and painting it is no longer practiced in its historic form instead it seems to have divided into two types the machilipatnam kalamkari which employs block printing of designs influenced by persian styles and the sri kalahasti pen kalamkari where mainly hindu iconographies are painted on fabrics in the next episode of textile tales of india i will elaborate on the time indian textiles were banned in england and the eventual decline of the once famous coromandel chins thank you very much for listening and i hope you enjoyed it <laughs>